Greetings, amigos, and top teners everywhere. Welcome back to another edition of Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today is your favorite co-host, Michael. He's grooving, he's bopping his head back and forth. He's wearing a kind of tealish t-shirt. Uh, it has our alma mater on it. It looks like he's ready for this <laughs> upcoming asterisk football season. <laughs> In the meantime, Michael and I will be talking about a top 10 list. Now, it's a list that Michael has put together. I have no idea what the topic is. It's completely foreign to me. No clue. But anyways, Mike will relay that list to me and to you, dear listener. Then we'll vigorously debate for somewhere around an hour. And by the end of this episode, we will have arrived at a definitive version of that top 10 list. So, Michael, what are we discussing today? All right, Kyle. Well, you're in for some edumacation today. Uh, because we're going to be talking about a television show that you have actually not seen. Good. But I would like to peer pressure you into seeing. We are going to be talking a little Curb Your Enthusiasm today. Okay. So I've recently completed uh, my first end-to-end rewatch of the show. So I had seen all of the episodes previously, but I just went through all of them as kind of my background show. And one thing I want to I want to point out about Larry that is very underrated is that he actually has some great advice. Now, Larry has some really terrible advice and some bad social graces that I would like to talk about on a different episode. So when I decided to put this together, I wanted to put together like those times when Larry pointed something out that actually could be useful in a social situation. Because most of his observations about social interactions are extremely accurate, but damaging. Things that you're like, oh, that's totally true, but you know you can't actually do. So as I was going through and and kind of pulling out his pieces of good advice, I realized that his bad advice also has to be its own list because it's so good. Like there's just so much stuff that he comes up with that's true, but you still don't do in a social situation. I feel like that's the crux of the show, right? Is like, yes, you get to watch somebody like play out these ideas that you have in your head of like what you would like to do, but can. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of the appeal of it. Exactly. But what I want to point out today, this was like, I was trying to take a slightly different angle on the show um, and say like, hey, you know, I know we all think Larry is a schmuck, but he actually has some stuff that might be useful to real life. There's also so much, the joy is really the stuff that's not for real life. So we'll talk about that at a later date. But I want to talk today about really useful social tips that Harry, uh, that Larry has for us. Wow, okay. Yeah, I, I've i seen enough Curb Your Enthusiasm to get it. I would yep. say it's like a, a good assessment of where I'm at. And I understand like the context of the show. Like I know Larry David's relation to Seinfeld and all that. Um I've listened to, I don't remember where I saw it. I listened to an interview with him where he discussed the writing process of Curbed and how like the whole time they just assumed that they could only ever write like five more episodes and they ended up writing, Yeah, how you know, but now I don't remember, or maybe that was Seinfeld. I don't remember. I've, I've, I know enough about Larry David that I know who you're talking about. Well, I would believe it about Curb though, because Curb Your Enthusiasm was actually a it's really intended as like just a mockumentary that was just kind of teasing his life. And it's the whole joke is curb your enthusiasm. Like, yes, this is the creator of Seinfeld, but like 
relax, this won't be that funny. And they basically just realized that putting him in situations is funny enough to make a whole show. And they are now 10 seasons completed of him just doing stuff. And really, and I was looking at an article the other day about like what the show is about. Basically, he just hangs out at home, at the golf course, <laughs> at medical buildings, and at restaurants. And that's basically the entire show. And they have found enough stuff to mine that the show is still funny and incredibly not re- kind of using its own stuff all that much. Yeah, so even though, even though you know, there's instances where Larry is kind of you know, treading back on ground that he's already trod either on earlier episodes of Curb or on Seinfeld. The show is still fresh because there's just so many situations you can put him in. I'm excited to hear what I can take away from this and apply to my own everyday life. Yeah, and I would recommend um, once you have watched the show, I, I actually used a... Um, a list from the ringer as my guide just to it had these really good quick summaries of the episodes so it was a good way to refresh my memory on what funny mm. things happened in the episodes That's so to know. let's hop into it number 10 the first piece of advice larry can give that i think is very helpful in real life never wear shorts on an airplane ever <laughs> ever ever so the setup is the setup is that Larry is on an airplane and he's sitting down next to this guy who's you know about his age, kind of middle aged guy who's sitting there just wearing shorts and showing an aggressive amount of thigh. Yeah, and it's just it's gross. And now I don't recommend that, like Larry, you police other people's clothing on an airplane, but I recommend. <laughs> That you understand how gross it is for people to see. This is especially for the dudes out there. For people to see your gross, hairy man thighs on an airplane. Well, in theory, though, like, doesn't this mean, like, never wear shorts on a bus? Like, or... Yes. It's like a mode of transportation where you're in close with people. And you're not, like... Like, at a restaurant, you... Your legs are under a table, so it's like, who cares for the most part? Yeah. <laughs> Never wear shorts to one of those, uh, is it Japanese or Chinese restaurants where you just like sit yes, on Yes, where you're sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's, I mean, that's true. Like, that's a societal thing you should be doing. But also, like, on an airplane specifically... I would never wear shorts because airplanes are cold. Like, I always wear So this is an interesting thing. Different people have different airplane experiences because the guy who he's talking to, his excuse is that he gets really hot on an airplane. And I've actually heard that from other people. I find that I'm always frozen on an airplane. But I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the, the circumstances of, like, being close to people. Some people perceive airplanes as being very hot. Well, it's... They're alternatively, like, boiler rooms and then ice chambers, because when you're on the ground, there's no air. You need to be flying for that to happen. So, like, if you're taxiing for a while, it's sweltering. But as soon as you get to cruising altitude, it's cold up there. But I can can also understand that different people have different experiences. For me, personally... I'm, I always wear jeans on an airplane for that reason. Well, the interesting thing about the airplane is that airplane fashion has gone very casual, which I support. I'm fine with casual airplane attire. 
But the thing about the casual airplane attire is it allows for the coolness of shorts without actually wearing shorts. You can wear, you know, your like your loose fitting jogger sweatpants if you want to, if you want to have the coolness of shorts without exposing people to your nasty man thighs. That's true. Uh, well, especially in today's world of athleisure, like your exactly. options, your options for like having the requisite level of, you know, uh, like social decorum while being comfortable, like your capacity to do that has shot through the roof in the last yeah, there's like, no excuse. three years. It's, it's not like, you know, 1912 in, you know, the UK where your options are tweeds or being nude. <laughs> like right. you, can, you can find something in the middle. Um, and I want to share the quote Larry says, and again, I want to be clear, we are not endorsing policing other people's clothes because that is a Larry behavior oh, that is bad advice. Don't do but that. Policing yourself is a good idea, but the humor in the situation comes from Larry's policing. The quote is, he says to the guy, I'm comfortable in pajamas, but I don't wear pajamas on a plane. I like to sing. I like to whistle. I like to play the bongos on my leg. I like to imitate horses, but I don't do it, okay? Because there's somebody sitting next to me. <laughs> and i just i love that because part of life and part of what curb enthusiasm gets so well is that part of life is accepting a little bit of discomfort for the greater good it doesn't mean you can't mind that for humor but you have to respect that there are situations where you don't get everything you want and you kind of just have to suck it up i would say compared to some of the experiences i've had on airplanes if someone just happened to be wearing shorts near me, like I, I consider myself very lucky. If like that's the my my yeah. seatmate, <laughs> like I'd rather have someone wearing shorts that sleeps the whole time than someone like in very appropriate uh, airplane attire that like decides they need to talk to me the entire time. I will say I think you can extrapolate this this very narrow theorem into a broader sort of universal law which is like understand that you're part of a small uncomfortable community while traveling in sort of a shared vehicle and behave appropriately i think what's so galling about the shorts thing to larry and to me now that i think about it more is that like you and i most people i think have that understanding of like we're about to enter an enclosed tight space for a few hours. Yeah. And we're all going to be generally kind of uncomfortable. Yep. And when someone breaches that contract and it feels like they are not like willing to put up with the same level of discomfort that you are, it can yep. be problematic. Yeah. It's like the cell phone, like, like talking on yeah. your cell phone. Like the, sure. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with talking on your cell phone, but we've all entered a contract when we got on this bus or this plane, not to talk on our phone. Yeah, and it's also like largely unspoken, and so your your venues for recourse are pretty much to just not do exactly. anything or to be a dick. <laughs> exactly, and that's exactly right because it, it makes you have to be the person who, who concretizes an unwritten yeah. law, and that's not fair. And then you're that guy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. If this is number ten, I can't wait to see what else Larry has for me. Yeah, number nine. So number nine is especially helpful for those who have a little inner Larry David. Um, so if you're the type of person who's prone to getting in trouble with your loved ones and friends, this is an opportunity to act out, but to act out safely. This is double transgression theory. 
So, <laughs> double transgression theory is basically his formalized version of in for a penny, in for a pound. So, what happens is Larry gets in trouble with his wife, Cheryl. And this actually is introduced to him by his friend Jeff, but they kind of work on this theory together. Jeff tells him, you know, there's an opportunity for them to go to the Playboy Mansion. And he tells Larry that he's already in trouble with Cheryl. And under the laws of, of double transgression theory, fuck it. Let's just go to the mansion. You can't get in any more trouble. Let's do it. And I have found this to be an extraordinarily true thing in my life. Once you're over a certain threshold of trouble with, like, your significant other or your family, there really is not a whole lot you can do to get yourself in more trouble. That's super interesting. And, like, I'm sure I found myself in this scenario before, but to, like, consciously decide that I can, like, I have the the leash to do something else, knowing I've already fucked up once. Yeah. I imagine it's a pretty freeing experience it was Um, so freeing that larry was able to go to the playboy mansion now he immediately scared all of the naked women away because of his sort of old bald man appearance they all ran away but um he was glad i think that he embraced double transgression theory in this instance this is kind of like i could also see you like using not you specifically i could also see a person utilizing this is like like pre like knowing that you're gonna go into double uh transgression territory and like masking a later greater transgression with a smaller like upfront transgression. Oh <laughs> like, totally. It's like it's a pre-empt. smart way Yeah, if you play it right, you can get away with a lot. Like I didn't unload the dishwasher and I crashed the car. Like <laughs> if I can get someone mad enough at me because I didn't unload the dishwasher then I can slide in. Maybe it would have to be like greater than that, but like that's a really no. But that's a good point. It's a good, <laughs> and you can kind of condition the person who's going to be angry at you with a minor. Tra- it's like a, it's like an inoculation. It's just you inject a little bit of the virus, get them kind of used to it, and then bam, hit them with a the full on thing. I suspect that this wouldn't work with Allegis. I think that she is too clinical and too lawyerly mm. for this to work on her. She also has with a great a- attention span. Yeah. It, I could get away with this if I did like, uh, and she doesn't watch curb. So there's a chance she doesn't listen to this episode, but I think I could get away with this. If I, if they were two minor transgressions, like if I had already failed to like put any of my socks in the hamper, which I am prone to do, yeah. I could probably like, I could then, Another thing I do that she hates is I will, like, put dirty dishes temporarily on our, like, drying rack before I get to them. Ooh, and so, dirty on the drying rack. Right. So, like, bits of stuff will occasionally get on the drying rack. So, like, she hates that. So, like, if she was already, like, if I knew I was already going to get in trouble for, like, like I said, leaving my socks everywhere, I could be a little more loosey-goosey with where I leave stuff on the drying rack because I already know I'm in trouble. That's a really good point. I'm, it's funny. I'm struggling to think of real life examples where I do this now, but I know I did this a lot as a kid. And I think this is a little bit of kid wisdom yeah. translating into adult life where I think we should embrace this a little bit more. I'm interested in testing this out. <clears throat> yeah, I will definitely be testing this out. <laughs> You're in trouble enough. It reminds me of 
very similar uh, vein, a Malcolm Gladwell book where he's like, talking, well, he talks about how like, there's only such thing as being smart enough. Like there's no correlation between intelligence and success past a certain point. Like totally. If you, like if you are smart enough to get a college degree, your like aptitude for success after that is no longer correlated to your intelligence. So like, yeah. In, in a similar way, once your transgression is past a certain point of, like, badness, yep. the wrath you, the wrath you can incur is no longer totally. tied. Yeah. <laughs> it's the law of diminishing marginal returns, or law of diminishing marginal punishment. It's like, yeah, if you, right. what past the point, like, whatever, how much more trouble am I going to get into? This needs to be studied, like, in a, in a university setting like we need some academic i think there's a lot of things that larry Larry david is a great social scientist he's unfortunately anecdotal but i feel like a darwin you could apply some real rigor yeah you could you could imply some real rigor to his his theories i feel like this theory also has applications in a workplace like a workplace psychologist or someone like that could really get a lot out of this totally all right so number eight uh is sort of two-part advice one part is bad advice given you know kind of the laws of society one part is very good advice so this episode is uh is called chet's shirt and he ends up it's a long story there's a dead guy who um <laughs> who has a shirt that larry likes and instead of expressing grief to the to the wife of the dead guy he asks where the guy got the shirt and then it goes and gets the shirt but whatever um larry is talking about his who he likes to interact with socially and the quote is i don't like talking to people i know but strangers i have no problem with so i think that there's some bad advice in there which is to not talk to people you know people you know (laughs) want to talk to you for better or worse they know you they expect you to talk with them um including one of larry's all-time great uh bits of bad advice which is to avoid the stop and chat which is when you're walking by somebody, he thinks that there's only a certain level of uh, closeness that warrants an actual stop rather than a, oh, hey. Um, but he really pisses people off by by raising the bar for that. So I think Larry's advice to not talk to people you know is bad advice. But I think it's great advice to talk in real depth, like to genuinely have conversations with strangers. <laughs> I think I agree with I agree with this. This one is just like, it's so generally against like everything that we do on a normal basis. Like I think biologically evolutionary wise, like there's probably a good reason that we don't talk to, we don't want to talk to strangers, but also just like from a societal perspective, like we're less and less engaged with people that aren't ourselves, like let alone people that we know. And so it's difficult, but I think there's real value in it. And it makes me think of uh, it makes me think of it, one of your anecdotes, the one where you you talked to that lady uh, at the beginning of quarantine that was just like, "Hi, how yes. are you?" Like totally. that random person. Yeah. And you know what the best part about that interaction was? No follow up. <laughs> Never right. saw her again. This is something that my dad has been living out as one of his great like central tenets for a long time is that he really does not... He gets very tired in social interactions with people he actually knows and likes. Like, there's, an, he gets to the enough is enough already phase pretty quickly. But he loves 
talking to strangers because once it's over, it's over. And there's real value there. Like you can meet new people, get new perspectives, but never have it forced, you know, kind of forced upon you again. I, the other day I saw, I I didn't do it myself. (laughs) I was like, I was not the other day. This was like probably right before quarantine. And there's this, this woman who I see on the train a lot and she has a very distinct look. So I know it's her. And I see her often, and I saw her one day on the train sitting next to some dude that she couldn't have known, and they were just, like, chatting, like, animately about something. And I don't know what it was, but, like, whatever it was, like, they were getting into it, and it was, like, a very pleasant conversation. And then I saw her get off. She, like, like waved to the guy in such a way that it was clear that they didn't know each other. Like, like nice to meet you kind of wave. And she got off the train... With, like, a smile on her face, and I, like, I remember thinking to myself, like, I am not the kind of person that could ever have that kind of interaction, and it's probably too bad, because it seems like she just learned something probably new, and at the very least had a pleasant interaction, which, like, it's, you have to be careful, because, like, in general, like, a lot of interactions you have with strangers are probably not going to go that well, and in fact, there's, (laughs) I'd say the greater risk, it's interesting, see, this is, this is, I think, emblematic of our of our different personalities your risk you're concerned about it it going poorly because you're a nice person i would be concerned about it going well us realizing that we're on the same train every day and then now i've been conned into talking to somebody every day that to me is the real nightmare yeah we should also say that this is a a pretty distinctly um male perspective like yeah i think this is like advice that's much harder to take as a woman probably totally because you're gonna because nine times out of ten if you talk to a strange man he's gonna think you're hitting on him and be really gross about it yeah uh so take what we're saying is like a distinctly male perspective it's not like i don't think any person listening to this podcast is gonna like well you know what i should do is start talking to more strangers well think about think about the alex situation where i always forget the details but that he ended up in a car with somebody had an axe a car accident with for like hours and then she slept over his house platonically like while i think that was terrible decision making on both of their parts they both had a really cool experience out of it. That is good, great anecdote. Alex is just better at this than most people. I yeah. Th- one one time we were in Chicago and we were walking in a busy area, uh, and there was a guy like in the street, like appealing to us. And as a veteran of this kind, this area, I like generally don't stop for what I assumed was someone that was asking for money, or, like a homeless person. And like Alex, of course, like stops. And it turns out the guy just needed help getting up onto the curb because he was an older gentleman and it was a really tall curb. And Alex, like, grabs this guy by the arm and pulls him up. And he was like, what the hell is the matter with you? That guy needed help. And my response was, that's a great scenario for you. A lot of times it doesn't end that well. But if we're going to talk about people that are good at this, Alex is... Yeah, he is uh, superior. Yeah. All right, so I had mentioned that uh, we're not going to do a knot top because that's going to be its own episode. Um, so I think I think we should cue the knot top music, and then I'll do uh, honorables here if that works for you. Uh, I don't know, Kevin. What do you think? Is that okay? Can we do the? He's saying, okay. He looks pissed, but he says it's okay. 
He said it's been a couple episodes since we've done an odd top anyway, so he'll do the music. All right, cue right, that Kev. music, Kev. Mm, thank delicious. Right. Thank you. Very nice of you. That's the thing about Kevin is like even when he's he doesn't necessarily agree with how we're doing it. Like that would never that would never impede the quality of the stank. Yes. He separates. It's like it's like when you have a bad uh, error out in the field, or you strike out, but you don't take your play out into the when you play defense. You separate totally. your roles. I'm not really professional. Really professional stuff from Kevin. Yeah. Obviously, we do not All know right. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. We do not know Kevin. All right, so I'll <laughs> give a couple honorables. I'll, I'll kind of buzz through these. Um, so one is to embrace the power of the phrase, I would really appreciate it. So this is a recent one where Larry discovers that if you say, I would really appreciate it, you can basically get people to do anything for you. Now, you have to be careful not to abuse this privilege, but it is very powerful. And I really believe this in like personal situations, business situations. If you begin or end a sentence with i would really appreciate it you're getting whatever you asked for you have to be careful with tone because if you do it wrong this comes off as like it comes off like you know what you're doing and you know that you're trying to appeal yes. to someone's yeah but like that if you true. can get the if you can get the tone right it's it's 60 percent it, of the time it works every time every time all right, so that was one. Uh, another one is always assume the worst, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. So in this one, it's the episode is the doll. Larry comes home. I forget what he had done, but he comes home, and he sees his wife, and I think she says, Larry, we need to talk, and he just goes, is it a divorce? And <laughs> it, was, and she, it, was, it was not even close to a divorce. Like, she just wanted to talk to him about something. But the fact that Larry started there... <laughs> Totally diffused the situation, and he ended up getting in a lot less trouble than he anticipated because he started with the worst. That's great in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this one is uh, another one where I don't advise you to point this out. It's a lot like this short situation. Don't do what Larry did and point out that somebody else is doing this. Just don't do it yourself. And this is the bathroom trick. So this comes from oh. the episode The Terrorist Attack. The bathroom trick is when the person, so if there's, so let's say there's two couples going out to dinner, um, and somebody, whoever is expected to pay from one couple, as it's coming to that time when the check is probably going to come out, they disappear to the bathroom. And by doing so, you basically foist the check upon the other party because, well, they're not just going to let the check sit there. They're going to just like go... Uh, okay. And Larry, of course, points out to the other person that he knows this is what they're doing and gets in all kinds of trouble. But it is good advice. Don't do that. Make sure you're around when the check is going to come out because you make people very uncomfortable. And and even if you're not doing it on purpose, they're going to think you're trying to avoid the check. Yeah. If you can, you try to... If you need to use the bathroom, wait until the check comes in. It's been sorted out. And then as the your server handles the transaction you can take off to the bathroom totally um another one is is uh to embrace anti-colonialism i think that what larry does really well is he's very progressive but without sort of forcing his views upon other people he's just thoughtfully progressive and he's talking i don't remember what the hell he's talking about but it's um it's at the baptism when larry's um 
Larry's fellow Jew is going to be baptized so that he can marry Larry's sister-in-law. Chaos, of course, ensues. It's an incredible episode. But um, Larry somehow or other gets into a chat about states. And the quote is, we don't need more states. We're not the British Empire. Are they trying to turn us into the British Empire? And what is Puerto Rico anyway? I found this to be a really good observation from Larry. And like I said, not virtue signaling, just genuinely questioning why do we need more states? How to be an anti-colonialist. I would say uh, this is a, a topic that fascinates me. If anyone is interested in this, I'm reading I'm, what's well, on hold at the library. I'm excited to read a book called How, or, uh, How to Hide an Empire. And it's all about, it's all about the different... Uh, like territories and um, that the United States has like Puerto Rico and Guam and like some of the other smaller ones that we don't know about because they're kind of like hidden. Um, I'm going to read that soon. I can't recommend it yet because I haven't read it. But if you're interested. That's an awesome idea. I, I always think about how like terminology determines the way we think about things. Like think about like the term sort of internment camp versus concentration camp. Like, a concentration camp is not necessarily an extermination camp. So there were concentration. The, the concept is not that you take people there to kill them. You take them there because they are politically unsavory to your regime. And the and United States. Yeah. The United States did precisely that with the Japanese during World War II. But by calling it an internment camp rather than a concentration camp, they've sort of escaped most of the historical brunt of the horrors of what they did it will come around because over time the effect of that marketing campaign will wear off in the same way that by not calling it the empire of the united states basically nobody thinks of us that way but in a hundred years when the marketing campaign has sort of worn off we will be known as the american empire yeah uh this is really interesting how terminology just changes like over time like you get progressively different words that are as equally as meaningful. And yep. this is being discussed specifically in a different context, but um, wow. Are we off topic? Embrace anti-colonialism. Great tip from, yeah, but it's David. actually interesting. It is. It is a genuinely interesting topic. <laughs> um, the next one is always coordinate your tips. This is something that bugs the crap out of me. <laughs> if you are, this is another like uh, couples going out to dinner situation. Larry is out to lunch with um, Jason Alexander, the actor who portrays George. And he asks Jason how much he's planning to give in a tip. And Jason refuses to tell him. And it turns into this whole thing where Jason gives an extremely generous tip. And Larry gives like his ordinary tip. And I think while we're led, you know, the show portrays Larry as the schmuck in this situation. I think Jason is a real schmuck here. Like, you just tell the other party. Like, it doesn't, you know, if you're if you're kind of like an overly generous person and you're going to tip 75%, like, do that on your own time. Don't do that when you're out with a couple because that, that presents unfair social pressure. Just coordinate the tip, give a, you know, 20% tip and move on. Tipping is such a fucked up institution. I like the, but agreed. Like the, the idea that you would, because in that scenario, the only, the only reason that you would not tell the other person is because you're, I guess, like embarrassed by the amount that you're going to tip. Like, and if it's high, then you just, you're, I guess like the, 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 the flip side, unless it's like a restaurant you frequent, 
like it doesn't really matter at the, at the end of the day like if this if your server doesn't like thinks that you suck compared to the other person she she or he served like it doesn't really matter but i think this is a good a good tip and what if you turned out to really like it and you want to go back right yeah you never know all right so the next one uh this is another uh double-edged sword where you don't handle it the way larry did but there's some good advice in here which is to always bring a coat and always be prepared for your social interactions because having the proper equipment means you're going to enjoy it much more this comes from the episode the korean bookie and larry is at a beach party and he knows because larry is smart that it gets cold on the beach at night so he brings a coat he ends up leaving it in the car and a woman at the party basically breaks into his car and just takes it and he ends up getting really pissed about it which is right because she just took it out of his car but he ends up going on a whole rant he says you know the story of the three little pigs the one who built his house with bricks that's me i'm the third pig think of me that way the third pig and you don't want to be a braggadocious third pig but always be the third pig because i find if you're not adequately prepared for a social outing like that it ends up getting cut short because you're too cold yeah this is true for like general warmth coats and also for rain jackets like there's yeah. nothing worse than being the guy or girl that doesn't have, like, the right form of equipment. And, like, I can think of more times. The thing is, like, there are probably more times where I brought the coat and didn't need it. But the th- the events that stand out are the times that you didn't bring the coat that you needed. So, like, the the cost, like, the cost of carrying around a coat that you don't need is well worth, like, accumulated totally. over time the one time where you do need it. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, and then the last honorable mention, this is this was done in the context of phone calls, but I think applies equally to text messages. And it's to always have the appropriate cutoff time for when you can send a call or a text. Um, and I find that this is especially true in group text etiquette because people think since it's a group text, I can just text whenever. I disagree. There has to be an appropriate cutoff. And Larry talks about the phone call cutoff is 1030. You can't make a phone call after 1030. Now, that's late for me personally. But um, respect that. People people appreciate receiving texts at the appropriate time, and they don't appreciate it at the wrong time. Yeah, I'll oftentimes like look at my text messages. It depends on the person. I oftentimes go through my texts that like, I send you probably if you text me you fresh are probably frustrated by the fact that i don't text you back until like 11 30 because i'll like i'll like batch reply to texts um so i i guess i would say that this is one that i just completely ignore although i don't think i would have the i don't think i would be so bold as to call you past like eight o'clock no i wouldn't i just wouldn't call you is really what i wouldn't do because if i called you you'd think like my cat died that's well, that's a good point we don't really call each other anyways <laughs> um all right so let's get back to the body of the list uh number seven oh, is yeah. a big one for larry um which is to pay attention to your surroundings and specifically pay attention to those who others perceive as your social inferiors now you do this for a couple reasons one because you're a decent person but two especially if you're larry you do it because you're concerned that news will spread around town about you so this comes specifically in the context of an oyster shucker 
who has been hired for a dinner party he's attending. And the quote is, he shucks all over town. I don't know what circles he shucks in. And this happens with uh, a driver for a limo he hires for a date out with Cheryl, who he makes sure he gets him dinner because he doesn't want him to be hungry in the car. Larry is always thinking about the little guy. He's thinking about waiters who can overhear him while he's talking. Like I said, part of this for Larry is paranoia about his you know, personal foibles being exposed. But he's always making sure he, he pays attention around the little guy. That's good advice. Like, apart from just being like a generally decent person that, <laughs> like, that, that doesn't see themselves like above any other person, like, it's just, well, this ties into talking to strangers. And also, like, if you just want to be selfish and, like, do this from a transactional perspective, like, oftentimes it can pay off. Like, um, the example that was always given to me was um always be friends always be friendly with um like maintenance and cleaning staff in whatever building you work in because those are the people that if you're locked out one night you hope that you can call in a favor with this person whose name you should know and you know they can help you out like there's a, i'm sure there are a lot of examples where like this could actually pay out for you in a in a very concrete way but besides that it's good advice to just generally <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things that you don't have to necessarily do it for the right reason. It's still a good thing to do. Whatever the reasons <laughs> right. are, it's better to do than not to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is some great great advice from Larry. You don't know where they shuck. They shuck all over town. You don't know what circles they're shucking in. So much of his humor is just like him inserting like slightly off words that you know but don't use a lot into like the like the, his the very like structure of the way he speaks is funny uh the like the shit bow like that's like that's just a funny comment like he does that a lot there's just like funny combinations of words that when repeated increase in hilarity and i think i will be playing i was actually thinking about that i'm pl- i think i'm planning to do that at some point like a, a curb and seinfeld wombo combo like the yada yada the close talker like the best sort of larry davidisms yeah, that's because there's some list. good ones. The shit bow is a great one. Um, all right, so number six is to always beep subtly when in traffic. So the setup here is that Larry ends up borrowing Ted Danson's Tesla, and he's unfamiliar with the tautness of the of the horn <laughs> on the Tesla. So he ends up in a situation where he's behind a cop, actually played by Coach from New Girl, and oh. He waits, like, a very respectful amount of time in a green light for the guy coach to move because he knows it's a cop. So he's like, I'm going to really give him extra time. But he's like, he's got to move at some point, right? So he goes to just do a little beep, beep. But since he doesn't know the car, he slams beep. And he ends up getting a ticket. And it's a whole big thing. This is like you. I would say you have to drive a car regularly to get horn privileges. Like, for for interactions like that, like obviously, if like someone's gonna barrel into you, like lay on the horn, doesn't matter yeah. how much you've driven the car, but like, th- like most, like 90 percent of horn interactions are probably just nudging someone to do something. Yeah, well, beep, beep. in which, in which case, you really need to know the feel of the horn because they're all different. Totally, and I I found, and I don't know if this is actually backed up by the by the facts here, but I think that more recent cars 
seem to have tighter horns that really go from zero to a hundred, much more than older horns. I feel like older horns there was more there was more subtlety. That's definitely true. When I used to drive uh, the Gray Ghost, my old Camry, you almost had to to coax it out. You kind of just had to you, you had to know the feel to get it to come out just right. Whereas this newer car, it, I fear that I'm having still having a hard time uh, getting the right intonation on my beeps. I I will say, and I'm prone to to fits of road rage. Ashley just she'll tell you like I'm quick to anger in the car, which is very but- funny because it's so unlike you. <laughs> It's, it's the only place, pretty much, where I get, like, really, really upset. and uh, But it happens a lot. But even I will... I try to stay away from the horn. I don't use the horn often. Um, I usually just wildly gesticulate. I, like the, I find that the little... I actually think the punch is the most subtle way to beep. Like, you do the soft little punch, punch. Yeah, you just want to minimize your contact. Yeah, that's my back. trick. Exactly. You do, like, a punch, but pull back. Yeah. It's risky, though. It's, it is risky. You gotta, you gotta know your car. Well, talking about risky, number five is probably the riskiest social maneuver here, but it is extreme. This is like a break glass in case of emergency move. Number five is the accidental text on purpose. So, what happens in this situation is you are in some sort of hot water because, of course, you are. And to get out of the hot water, you send a text to the wrong person on purpose so that you can convey a sentiment that you would never normally send to that person to make sure they see what happened. So I'll give you an example. So Larry is is golfing with a doctor and the doctor is, uh, they've got, you know, a bed on each hole and the doctor's down a couple hundred bucks. The doctor then says he's got an emergency call from the office and he has to go perform surgery. So basically, it's his way of welching on the bet. The doctor then, the next day, sends a text that says, Hey, Diane, um, you know, really glad we were able to do this. Please make sure you take your medicine. But he sends it to Larry. So he sends this text to Larry accidentally on purpose. Larry sees right through this line of bullshit, but Larry uses it several times. He also encourages his friend Richard to do the same thing. Because Larry has insulted the quality of the water that Larry or that Richard's girlfriend has served at a dinner party. And so Richard sends a text that's supposedly to Larry, but he sends it to his girlfriend instead that says, like, I can't believe you would disrespect my girlfriend like that. It was great water. I you're not welcome at our house, but he sends it to the girlfriend. The cost of getting caught in this maneuver is extreme because you look like a real asshole, but it's brilliant. I will say, though, like, it would not occur, like, this is not something that would be high on my list of things to look out for. Like, I don't think, like, unless I had listened to you explain this to me, I don't think it would have ever occurred to me to do that, but it's actually tactically brilliant. Brilliant. It has to be applied in the right situation with the right target, but if you can do it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a Hail Mary. Well, and you better save your bullets because it, you can't do it like more than once a, every couple what like years. Like that's part of what happens in the episode. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can, you can do this. Is you're right. This is a hail mary. Like, this shouldn't be like high in your playbook. But if you find yourself in a really bad situation, a social situation, this is something that should be in your playbook. Just you know, near the back.
Yep. So number four is a move that is actually, it's kind of a joke that he stole from Seinfeld. Um, and in both cases, it doesn't work out for the person doing it. But I actually think it should. I'm very supportive of this move. It's at a dinner party. Don't bring wine. Bring bread. So on on Seinfeld, George brings Pepsi. Or he wants to bring Pepsi and like <laughs> Yoo-Hoo's or something. Because he doesn't... He, he's like, how many bottles of wine can people drink at a dinner party? On Curb, Larry brings a, a loaf of bread. Ricky Gervais makes fun of him mercilessly, blah, blah, blah. But I'm very against the ridiculing. I think that bringing the somewhat offbeat thing to a party is the go-to move. I'm very supportive of this. It's I, I wouldn't say that it has to be bread, but like if you yes. understand if you understand the character of the dinner party and you can bring something that you know will be a hit. Yep. This is a it's again it's risky, but like if yep. you can pull off the right item. Yeah. Because if you bring a bottle of wine, whoever your host is will be grateful, but like never the, gonna get in trouble with a bottle of wine. Yeah, like, but the emotion ends there. Like, nobody yeah. after a dinner party is like, you know what was thoughtful was that bottle of wine that, yep. you know, Mike and Caroline brought over. Yep. Like, it's like you paying know. a toll. You, you've paid a toll by bringing the bottle of wine. You don't want to do the Michael Scott and bring the store-bought egg salad and, you know, have it at a dinner party where there's, like, chafing dishes out for a buffet. So you have to, like you said, assess what's going on. But, like, some some flowers or chocolates, or, you know, a loaf of bread, whatever it is, it's much more memorable. This reminds me of when we talked about a Game of Thrones dinner party and how, like, Sansa yeah. would likely show up with lemon cookies. Like, great. Totally. Great move. Very memorable. And the other thing is, if you're if you're worrying about cost, you can typically get... You can get something that's more thoughtful for less. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you can go for specificity and you don't have to spend a lot on it for it to have an outsized value in terms of sentimentality or, like, uniqueness to that individual or that party or whatever. It would be like if I brought... If I, uh... Like... If I brought a, a bag or a box of, uh, what are those fudge cookies called that Jerry likes? Fudge the, stripes. The, if you brought fudge yeah. stripes, he would wig out. Yeah, right? Like that's, you know, so something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. So number three. So we're going to jump right into the top three because we already did the honorables. Um, number three is another situation where I think the show criticizes Larry for a move that I actually think was a great move. So the key here is you might know somebody in a particular social setting. Like this person is your boss. This person is your, like you Barista. said, it might be a, a maintenance person, whatever. The advice that Larry communicates here is is to judge people based on everything you know about them. This comes from the episode, The Thong. So Larry is going to his therapist, and his therapist gives him some advice that he should go to the beach. Like, he thinks this is a great idea, you should go to the beach, it'll help you relax. Larry goes to the beach, and he sees his therapist, who's a like, 60-year-old man, wearing a thong-style bathing suit, and immediately has to get out of his relationship with this therapist because he's lost total faith in this guy's ability to fix him. And the show, of course, this this leads to comic results and it's a disaster for Larry, all this stuff. I think it's great advice. 
every bit of information you have about a person is very important. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily fire your therapist because they wore a thong bathing suit, but I very much encourage looking at the totality of the person who you're interacting with. If you find out that this person, you know, kicks cats when they walk by, just because this person is your, you know, boss and it doesn't technically have anything to do with your job, you need to take that information into account. That's really interesting. I think like the distinction is that you don't necessarily have to actively seek that information out. Like totally. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, but I think like I'm probably a more accessible or like frequent way that this goes about is if you accidentally see somebody that you know, like on social media in a context that you're not. For, for me, like the weirdest thing is like when I see family members, like aunts or cousins that like I only see pretty much in family context, like on social media doing things with other people, like which they do because they're people. Like yeah. that always is, is like jarring to me for some reason. But I and I could see how that like but I should use that information to form you know opinions and, and all, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, um, luckily I haven't seen anybody in a thong. Yeah, thankfully it's that should go with the shorts. I just don't wear thongs to the bathing to the to the beach. But good advice, I think, for a lot of people. Like in that specific scenario, you would almost feel like guilty using the information. You'd be like, "Well, I wasn't supposed to see that." It's like, well, no, but you did. But you did. <laughs> exact this is exactly the point. But you did. You did though. <laughs> and you can't just ignore, you're not you can't just ignore that your therapist wears a thong. Like you can't just ignore that. All right, so number 2 is actually the inspiration for this list because I was watching the other day and I was like, "Oh my god, this is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen." It's such a great party move. And I've definitely done it before but never had the terminology for it. Number two is the big goodbye. So the big goodbye is a situation in which you're at a party or some sort of gathering. And there's an expectation that you will have spoken with person X, Y, or Z. Let's call him Jim Bob. So you know Jim Bob and you're at a party where you know Jim Bob is going to be. You've seen Jim Bob from across the party, but you really didn't want to talk to Jim Bob. So what you do is... You assiduously avoid Jim Bob all night. Like, you make sure you don't interact with Jim Bob all night. Then, as you're making your way to the door, you go, Hey, Jim Bob! Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't get a chance to see you. I was so caught up. Oh, you were talking to somebody all night. Ugh, what a bummer I didn't get to see you. Jim Bob, it's great to see you. Ugh, I hope you're well. Bye-bye. The only the only problem with this move is you you have to like you have to be committed to the go like to then leave because especially that's exa- that is exactly what they point out on the show. Yeah, because especially in the Midwest, I'm sure everywhere, but like in the Midwest I call it the Midwest goodbye where it's like it takes you an hour to say goodbye and you could end up having a very lengthy conversation with a person you're trying to say goodbye to, but like you really have to commit to it if you're gonna if you're gonna pull this off. I think the move. Now, this isn't what they did on the show, but I think if I were to add my own enhancement to this, you have an Uber on the way. Oh, you're a genius. Think about the Uber plus the big goodbye. You're like, oh, I, oh my god. And I and I think about this because I know I've done it. I haven't I haven't like had the plan to do this, but I definitely roared. Yes, it's like, I, oh, you know, 
Jim Bob 2 is on his way. I gotta go. I have to leave. Yep. The big goodbye. We should we should amend this to the Uber goodbye. Like Yeah. There's just, there's just, there's now a time limit on how long your interaction can be. It's set at six minutes until Andrew's here. Yep. I <laughs> love this was the inspiration for the whole list because I think it's such a brilliant maneuver. It's a way to serve all of your masters. It keeps you happy because you don't have to talk to Jim Bob. It makes Jim Bob feel special and it gets you the hell out of there. The only the only problem that can come up is like if the layout of the party is such that like you have to go out of your way. Even then, you can get away with it. Like I, I wanted to come over. Reason. I, I want. You could say I wanted to come over here and make sure I said at least hi. My Uber's on the way. But I got it. This is pretty much foolproof, and it's hard. Like you'd have a hard time collecting the evidence on the other end to form the opinion that it was being done against you. Yep, exactly. It's just it's what? a question of picking your spots. Yeah. Yeah. This is that's a good one. I really love the big goodbye. All right, so number one, this one may be mostly applicable to me, but I think <laughs> a very important thing, and this especially goes for the workplace, always, always mix up your path to the bathroom. Never go the same way to the bathroom multiple times. So this is from the episode The Lefty Call. So in this episode... Larry gets a job for his friend Richard Lewis's girlfriend, Cha-Cha. So Cha-Cha gets a job as the receptionist at the office building where Larry works. And she has this just insanely annoying habit of, of talking about what's happening in the bathroom. Where Larry walks by, she's like, oh, Larry, you've been, uh, been in the bathroom quite a few times today. Or, um, Larry, you feeling okay? Or, like... You know, hey, Larry, what did you eat? Like, just keeps making observations about what's happening in the bathroom. And so Larry realizes that what he has to do is come up with alternate routes to the bathroom. And I think, for me at least, this is a massive saver of of sort of my social standing because I am such a peer. I'm such an obscene peer that if people who I work with were to realize how often I was peeing, I would be demoted. I would lose all <laughs> my cachet as a worker because they would say, like, there must be something wrong with this person. There is. I have a small bladder. There's something wrong with me for sure. <laughs> but I can't have my coworkers and my fellow comrades knowing that. Plus, if you're smart about it, you can get the right kind of interactions with everyone and seem like the friendliest guy in town. Because you go this way, hey, Jim Bob. You go that way, hey, Bob Jim. Mix up your bathroom routes. This is something that I used to do, not like accidentally at my old office, because I, I had reason to go into like this other wing of our office that most people didn't have a need to go over to. And as a result, I would interact with people that I normally wouldn't have. And so I was a very social guy. Like, I got to chat with a lot of people I normally wouldn't have. And then as a result, well, I'd be like, well, I'm over here already. I'll go to the bathroom. So, like, I think you're right. Like, you end up doing it. In this case, I did it accidentally. But I reaped the same reward. The only way this doesn't work is, like, for example, my office now is so small that, like, it's pretty pretty obvious that you're going to the bathroom and there's not much in the way of like the only way you could vary your route is if you like went through the emergency exit to go that's worth it to me <laughs> to not be known as the guy with like a bladder infection <laughs> this is great the, only, the other thing is like by 
taking a different route. I was going to say, like, the people near you that, like, sit near you will know, like, regardless, like, well, he's been gone for a while. But if you alter your route, they may just assume that you weren't going to the bathroom. They think you're at a meeting. This is the thing. Like, the people near me think when I go left, it's for the bathroom. And when I'm just gone and they haven't noticed, they think I'm at a meeting. I'm not. I'm pooping again. It's because I had nine cups of coffee. I'm just pooping again. But people don't know that. And it helps keep up my mystique. There's a mystique about me. Like, hey, that's a guy who goes to the bathroom a regular amount of times. And, but not only that, you're also a guy that, like, like yeah, Michael gets up and, like, walks around a lot. Like, he's busy. He's doing and stuff. He's on the he's, go. He's interacting with people. He's uh, he's touring the facility. He's picking up yep. slack. Totally. And I'm absolutely <laughs> not. I am pooping again, and I'm looking yeah, at my right. trout stats on my phone again. <laughs> this is... I really like that one. That's a that's a number one for sure. Yeah, yeah. So this is <laughs> this is some of Larry David's best tips um, that I've that I've sort of absorbed for how this, to live your life as a successful social creature. We need to make sure that we label this episode advice and then like in parentheses curb your enthusiasm because I think anyone yes would get a lot out of this list, not just curb fans. I agree with that. I, I very much agree with that. This is a great, great episode. I really enjoyed it. So here's my question for you. Yes. If I'm planning at some point to do a full series rewatch of both, not rewatch, a series watch of Curb and Seinfeld, which order should I watch them in? You gotta watch Seinfeld first because it's so yeah. much. Le- it's so much less painful. It also informs part of the humor, especially of the early seasons of Curb. Um. Where it's more important, because what's interesting about Larry David is at the beginning of Curb, he was an unknown guy outside of Hollywood who was known there as the Seinfeld guy. Larry David is now a cultural icon. Like the the promotional materials for the latest season were a spoof on the Veep or um, 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 Vice, the Vice posters where it was just like the the profile of Dick Cheney against the yellow background. Now it's just, it says, instead of uh, Vice, it says Oi, and it's just Larry David's glasses. So like, as the show goes on, Larry David becomes Larry David. But early on, to kind of get it, Seinfeld is, is the Rosetta Stone. So as a result, it means that it's going to be some time before I have the full context of the show. But yeah, I think... A worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. And it's also fun, I think, to see the origins of the humor. And I also think it helps you understand which parts of Seinfeld were Larry David's kind of ideas. Because over time, you can really start to feel like a Seinfeld plot line versus a Larry David plot line. Well, thank you for doing the the legwork on this one. Uh, I do what I, I can. I, I gotta say, I'm really excited to use a couple of these. Like, I'm really excited to bring something that's not wine to a dinner party. And I'm really excited. In the next year, I would like to send uh, a text to someone accidentally on purpose. I really want to try that. I don't think I've done that. But I kind of think. I've definitely, I've either done it or had it done to me. Because when 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 this episode happened, it was like, oh, I know about this. I can't wait to use that. And, like, I think I can find a scenario where it's a low stakes enough, like, where I'm just trying to urge someone to do something for me or something. I'm going to use that this year. 
Kyle is very frozen. Our computers are not working that well, so I'm gonna recap and hope that Kyle unfreezes. So, number 10, when you're on an airplane, leave your shirts at home. Number nine, embrace the freedom of double transgression theory. Number eight, while you shouldn't stop talking to people you know, definitely start talking to strangers safely. Number seven, always pay attention to your surroundings and understand that you will encounter these people again. Number six, for your safety and that of those around you, beep subtly while in traffic. Number five, in case of emergency, like a true social emergency, send the accidental text on purpose. Number four, when going to a dinner party, don't bring something kind of lame and boring. Bring something memorable, like a loaf of bread or maybe fudge stripes. Number three, always judge people based on other circumstances in which you see them. Number two, if you don't want to talk to somebody at a party, use the big goodbye. And number one, the most important tip that Larry David has for us for living well as social creatures, mix up your paths to the bathroom, please. Do it for yourself and for those around you. So, Kyle, that is the list. It's a great list. Am I unfrozen? Uh, you unfroze for a second there, but you are frozen again. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Michael, for that fantastic list. That was a fun one. Uh, I hope everyone can get a lot out of this, like I will. Uh, before we go, I do thank yous. So I'll thank Kevin McLeod for our stanky beats. Uh, they're fantastic. It's the not top three in our intro. And I thank my sister Erin for our artwork, which is stellar more of her stellar work is on instagram at sand design and speaking of instagram our social media maven caroline labranti my fiance has done some wonderful work for us on instagram at top 10 km 10 is spelled out t-e-n if you want to check out her other stuff you can check it out on cml.photos on instagram if you want to contact us directly about all the ways we failed you you can check us out on gmail top 10 km 10 also spelled out t-e-n now finally i'm sure you're listening to us on some sort of listening platform but if you're looking for another one we are on all the major listening apps stitcher spotify podbean the apple podcast app pretty much wherever podcasts can be found so kyle that is what i have to say this week i think that's pretty much all there is to say michael arrivederci arrivederci